Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to Irish Illustrated Insider brought to you by irishillustrated.com. It is Thursday, February 16th. We've been away for almost two weeks. And plenty to talk about with Nordame basketball, what's happening in the in the weight room with the football program. Nordame has added a couple recruits, a couple significant recruits, as well as a graduate transfer from Michigan. Pete, um, where do you want to start? You want to start with the weight room because a lot of good things are happening there. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of, I, I think that's going to be the biggest story of the offseason, something that we're going to be writing about in different ways from different angles, I don't know, until... September until the <laughs> kickoff of the Temple game, um, and I think we said on a previous podcast that always be wary of the new strength coach is way more demanding and up tempo and energy and everyone's dedicated and buying in. So I'm here to tell you that everything is high energy and up tempo and everyone's buying in. Um, but I wanted to come at that angle from a from a different perspective and I spent the last week talking to four different guys who trained with Bayless at Mississippi State and you know they don't have a reason to sort of lay it on about how great he is or what a good guy he is but they all could not wait to talk to me about him and to, including a couple of them who called me on Friday night uh, to talk about just how good Matt Bayless was so I'll be writing that story later this week or, or early next week, um, but there's a lot of good anecdotes and insights about why Matt Bayless um, is so good at his job, and I do think we are starting to see and hear some of that around Notre Dame, that the competitive aspects of Notre Dame weight training and sort of the energy that Bayless, as somebody who can get in the squat rack with somebody and actually do the workouts himself, um, there's a lot of credibility that comes with that, and I think that Norton's roster is feeling it. With, with regard to the competitiveness of it, that's some of the feedback that I've gotten, that that it, that many of the workouts are, a good portion of them are like team competitions, which I think is always good. Uh, athletes, thrive, th- athletes thrive on competition, whether it's a game situation or, or, or in the weight room, and I think that's... That's a good thing too. Apparently, there's a there's like a system of points that they keep that they keep. Yeah. I don't know if there's actually if the teams are stay the same all the time or if they, they rotate. Do. do you have an insight? Into yeah. That? So at Mississippi State, they, they would break the and they're doing that at Notre Dame too. It's just they'll break the team up, and the way they did it there is they would have a draft where you would you would pick players by position. So each team would have different players from each position. And then you would have agility competitions and strength competitions, and then you would accumulate points. And I asked as a Mississippi State guy, I was like, so like, what do you get if you win? Uh, it's basically you just got new gear. Um, so it's not something elaborate where you're you're winning a new car. Um, <laughs> no, but, but, but young athletes but are, you, they just want to compete. You win or you lose, and you know if you win, and then you get your picture on a wall somewhere so everyone sees that you won and that team won. And um, it sounds like an assistant coach is sort of attached to each of those teams too. Um, so, which 
I don't know if our listeners saw the video that uh, Notre Dame put up of um, what is known as the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Uh, it's a big leg workout where they sort of work their muscles to failure. Um, but Brian Kelly was in the weight room there, which I, I don't think is something that we think too much about, about how involved he is in a hands-on capacity that way. But it sounds like the assistant coaches can um, you know, are a little bit more bought into some of this too because of you know they're each of them are in charge of one of these teams. And Tim O'Malley is here, and we're going to let him speak in a minute here. But one more point <laughs> I wanted to make about that is that Apparently, you know, core emphasis, there, there wasn't a strong core emphasis, particularly for linemen. I think the skill position athletes and those guys, those are smaller athletes. They always want to build up their abs and, and, uh, and, and compete in that area. But I don't think that that was emphasized with the linemen. Now it is. I mean, that is such an archaic vantage point, an archaic point of view not to work on core strength for your big guys. And I think some I think we see that in a in a you know just a general overall general overall lack of athleticism in the big guys and I, I think that's an important aspect of this as well. Listening to all this I have one question. So competition is greater. Core work is greater. Focus on team and team building is greater. Keeping track of points, inner pride why wasn't that present before? <laughs> the retroactive question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Retroactively, why not before? Yeah, I don't I don't have an answer for that. Well, I, I think mean, that it's like I... why was you looked at last year's defense, why didn't they change last year? I mean, I I think it's and I was going back and forth with somebody who's connected to the program about this and his point was like, look, this is where four and eight can be a good thing. Because if they went Seven and five last year. Yes. I don't think Brian Kelly would have taken a hatchet to what was happening here. Yeah, I totally um, agree with you. <laughs> so it forced him to tear it up and evaluate everything. And this is what you get on the backside of it. Like, look, four and eight sucked last year, and it hurt recruiting, and it put the head coach on the hot seat, and it made for some <laughs> some repetitive <laughs> podcasting. But if you can. If you could take that and spin it forward and turning it into turning into something good, which is, I think, evidence in how recruiting has gone over the last two months, um, then it can be a good thing. And I, I think Notre Dame, to their their credit, got there. I like the point system. The, I think that's cool for the players going yeah. throughout winter conditioning. I like that. I do think it'd be cool if they're on the same team the whole time because it really yeah. would add some competition. Right. I believe to that's it. how it works. Yeah. Yeah. And I really like the it's, I loosely understand it, but how an assistant coach is assigned to each team. I think yeah. that's good too because then you get a little bit extra not just from Bayless and his strength coach, mm-hmm. but when they can speak with you. You mentioned Brian Kelly in the weight room. Now he can't always be in there. That's, yeah. that's one thing people need to understand. He not always love being there. So it's yes. this is a well, certain time of year. He can't he can't just go in the summer and watch them lift. And, and four and eight doesn't I mean if you're seven and five like you say it doesn't precipitate all the coaching changes. It doesn't precipitate this tremendous sense of urgency now felt by a, a young group of coaches on the recruiting trail. I mean, you're right. There, there are benefits that come as long as you can come out of the back end, you know, much better off than you were. Then, you know, I don't know that you can ever say four and eight is worth it. But in this situation, if it prompted all this, four and eight's in in the rearview mirror. It's time to move on. You know, it might. It is kind of worth it because. Seven and five after four and eight is automatically deemed not good enough. Where seven and five after seven and five might have been, yeah, 
just treading water, being in purgatory for a little longer. So mm-hmm. I really do think the sense of urgency obviously helped Kelly, um, caused an overhaul, and we're about to get into this, but it's, how long is the National Signing Day now? 15 days? 16 days? Six, uh, 15 days. So that's about nine recruits, <clears throat> uh, yeah. in the last, eight recruits in the last 16 days. That's yeah, quite a thing. and that's what, look, this is what I wrote in my column on Signing Day, is like, if Signing Day had gone poorly, it would have been the last day of last season. Signing Day went great, and I identified it as the first day of next season. I think pretty much everything that has happened since would validate my position there that the way that they closed in recruiting and the way that they continue to recruit and the way that strength uh, winter workouts seem to be going, it all feels very 2017 and not at all like a, a hangover from 2016, which is important because like they're not they're not going to get six of their 10 official visitors to sign from at the end of last cycle, those final two weekends without really good energy and sort of positive momentum in the program. They're not going to get commitments from probably ultimately three of the five junior day visitors last weekend without some real positive momentum and good vibes. Like you can't fake it to these prospects. Um, and that's kind of where they're going to be. You know, they're not going to get Derek Allen, a four-star safety cornerback from Georgia with offers from Alabama, Georgia, Clemson to commit to four and eight Notre Dame. If it's not like if you can't, you don't commit to four and eight Notre Dame, you commit to Notre Dame, a really intriguing program with good energy that seems to be on the rise where I can play right away. Notre Dame, I think has done a good job pivoting um, in that regard from last season to next season. And that's what they're selling now. And to their credit, they're doing a, a very, very good job selling it because kids are buying it. Well, the Arrow's definitely pointing up and recruiting the verbal commitments of Kalen Gervin, the cornerback, and Derek Allen, the safety, who I think, and Cole Mabry, also an offensive lineman, who I think is a bit more of a project. But I, you know, I think Derek Allen. I don't know that he's the. I don't know that he's the, going to be the best player in the class. But if you had to take these nine kids and say, okay, you're now in the program, who can contribute? I think Derek Allen would be. Would be first on that list right now. It's also the shocking commitment of all of them because if Derek Allen was a that good of an offensive lineman, you'd be like, "Yep, makes sense." Yeah. Or even quarterback, but that's yeah. just the fact that they got well, his lot, talent safety at this no, point in the cycle. Well, tons of credit to the family. Oh and yeah, the program oh, that he comes from. Great fit. For him I mean, that, it's right. a great fit. It's not out of out of this world right. that it happened, yeah. but it's the talent level of that position. Absolutely, in February when, is crazy. When a kid of that caliber verbally commits to a four and eight Notre yeah. Dame, you know that he comes from a real solid background. I think, in some ways, that Kalen Gervin's commitment was more of a surprise to me than Derek Allen's, just because Derek Allen, you know, he'd visited a while ago. Uh, you know, his dad was a captain at Army, so it's like there's a little bit more of a background there that we knew about. Kalen Gervin, it was like he got offered one week and committed less than a week later, over 30 offers from a program where Notre Dame hasn't got anybody out of ever in the Detroit Public League where I think Jerome Bettis was the last guy Notre Dame got out of there. So it's And it's not like they don't try to recruit uh, Cast Tech and King High School. Um, They just don't get anybody out of there. So that... Again, That's more like, surprising, I get when you when you yeah. weigh them. Sure, yeah. So look, in Notre Dame sitting there, it's nine. Well, probably nine commitments. Well, nine commitments now. Ten probably on Friday, as is tradition. We'll have a commitment the day after the podcast. Right, um, so it'll be Micah Jones tomorrow, uh, the Chicago Land receiver. I expect him to go 
you know, fully for Notre Dame, and that would put them at 10 commitments. And you're probably at that point more than halfway done at your class because there's there's not a lot of space here. You look at our scholarship chart for 2018, you slap Micah Jones on there, and the overall number turns to 85 out of 85, and it's not a group of fifth-year seniors where you look at and you, you see a, a Mark Harrell or – a Tyler Stockton, somebody you could be like, well, I could see where Notre Dame yeah, could no, not. They're coming back. back to play. There's the fifth a few guys. All the fifth year guys, you know, it's it's Wisher, Mustafer, um, Bars, Bars in there. It's it, you know, Nick Watkins, I guess maybe, probably Tranquil, but, true Tranquil, Tranquil. But there there aren't guys on there where you're like, oh yeah, I could see where Notre Dame maybe would. Would pass. Yeah, there's two of the nine or whatever. You like Montgomery Van Gorder probably wouldn't. Be I, he's back. not even on there. Okay, okay. Yes. Jimmy, Jimmy Byrne probably wouldn't come back. Not on there either. Yeah. Oh, on your chart you're I, talking about. I'm yeah, sorry. On okay. my chart, I got Mike you. Jones would put them at 85 out of 85. And you don't have Makwa on there then? No, I don't okay. have Pete Makwa on there. I'm, let me pull this up because it's like it would be really hard cuts for Notre Dame to not have other guys back. Now, as we've said on every podcast when we talk about the 85 limit. There will be guys who transfer, there will be an injury, maybe there will be a suspension, but it's not going to be a situation where they're going to have massive amounts of spots either. I'm bringing this up uh, just because I wrote about it on Monday, but I want to get your opinion from talking to all the uh, talking to coaches and obviously people inside the program. So let's say there's 18 to 19, we'll say 18 to 19, just yeah. because medical suspension transfers, people go pro. Equinomy is safer out to go pro. Yeah, Josh Adams yes. could go pro. Sure, there's plenty yeah. of guys. So I'm just going to give you the quick numbers and see where you think... They need one more or one less. Three cornerbacks. Um, I mean, I right now I feel like they have one corner and one safety. I know they said Derek. Right. I mean, he's a safety too. So three yeah, corners. Yeah. yeah, three corners. Yes, three offensive linemen at least. But it's hard to go two. Yeah, guess. I mean, I, I posted this on our message board. But what Notre Dame's goal there is they want two pure, pure, pure tackles and one guy who is a swing tackle guard. So at least three there. I could take a fourth though and be happy with it. I bring this up for the future question, but two wide receivers. Uh, they want three. Okay, so. a lot. No one leaves. That's the problem. Yes, yeah. say Brown. Two linebackers, and I mean not including rush ends. Um, they're shooting for three, and they have two already. So I already had two down. Yeah. yeah. Um, one tight end because I assume they lose at least two. If not, what if Alizé Jones leaves as well? Uh, that to me, that's the luxury position. Okay. And if I was a, if I was a high school tight end, I'd be like, wait a minute. Yeah, you just got full command, Brock Wright. Oh. He's more of a big skill at this position. Than I'll pass. Uh, quarterback's obviously there. One running back. Uh, yeah, and then two would be the luxury recruit. Okay. Two interior defensive linemen. Yeah, it's a, a four defensive linemen okay, overall. That's I have two, two rush ends, two defensive tackles. But if it's three and one, everybody be fine with it. Yeah, I sort of broke it down as the ideal class is is could be nineteen four DBs, three linebackers, four D linemen, three offensive linemen, three receivers, a running back, and a quarterback. And if you know you're getting some extra space at some point, then the guys that turns into a second running back, a first tight end, and a fourth offensive lineman. I guess that's why I was a little surprised. The, the Cole Mabry offer and commitment. I was a little surprised at that since numbers are so tight. He had a very, not that this matters to Notre Dame or Harry Heastan, but he had a very limited offer sheet. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he is a project. I think he, he is a tackle. You said two tackles and a swing guy. Um, he's one of the pure tackle guys. Yeah, for sure. you know, I mean, I think he's got pretty good feet and, and, and does some good things. He uses his hands pretty well. Uh, I think he plays too high. And I, <laughs> I referenced this. I, nobody commented on the message board. I was a little surprised. Um, 
you know the movie in blind the blind the blind side and Michael Orr runs the guy into the into the stands behind the end zone. You see a lot of that with Cole Mabry, which is great for movies and great for for film. I don't know how how much value there is in running a guy thirty yards out of the play. I'd rather see you knock somebody down and go find somebody else to make the play work. Uh, but uh, it's, better, it's better than getting knocked down. Right. Well, that's <laughs> no. That's the physics of that in college football are also very difficult. They, they will never happen. But I don't Jay ever. But I don't ever remember watching high school film of Zach Martin and he was running a guy twenty-five yards yeah, downfield. He would dispose of him and move on to the next guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I found a little bit of humor in that. He, he is a project. But I, my my original point was that I was a little surprised that they pulled the trigger on him, considering how tight the numbers are. So yeah. you're saying he'll be as good as Michael Orr? That's good. Thanks, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> right, so in, in that class that we're talking about, here would be the fifth-year seniors potentially. Tyler Newsom, Nick Watkins, Drew Tranquil, Jay Hayes, Jonathan Bonner, Sam Mustafer, Alex Bars, Nick Wisher, and this would be a good segue into Freddie Canteen. There's nobody really on that list that I would think would be like, well, I could see where they could do without him. I think they would want all those guys back. Yeah, not really knowing what you get in Canteen yet, which is probably he's a guy that caught six passes at Michigan as longest was eight yards, and I believe that one went for a touchdown. Yeah. I mean, I think he's he's pretty much a slot receiver. Mm-hmm. Um, I I wasn't able, I didn't see a ton of film on him, but I don't look. He's an additional body, and I'm not, and that's not to put him down. But they lost Corey Holmes, and they need numbers at receiver. I don't know that he's going to come in and beat anybody out for a starting spot. I don't think so either. But just by pitching it forward to 2018 in a fifth year, I mean, I gotta assume that was discussed for his transfer. He has yeah. two years left. It's not like he's going to oh, yeah. try out for his fifth I, right, year, right. you know. So he's I, probably coming back. I yeah. talked to him, yeah. um, and he said, "Look, I have two years of eligibility." Um, I guess in theory he could do a second grad transfer if he really wanted to. Weird I don't think do. he wants to do that. Um, you know, he also said that he doesn't really know what he's going to study as far as a master's program. So I think that that could play some part in it as well. But yeah, he played in 15 games, started three of them, six catches, 22 yards, and one touchdown at Michigan. Had a shoulder injury his sophomore year that knocked him out for the rest of the season. I I asked him about not playing last year, and he said. He said that he could have come back probably, but it was a situation where why burn a year at that point? Um, so you start taking him at his word on that. You know, the, the Notre Dame connection is loose. I mean, certainly a lot less than Avery Sebastian and way less than Cody Riggs. Um, but I think you look at this on paper and feel like it's more of a Sebastian than a Riggs in terms of where canteen probably yeah i think that i think probably somewhere in between is what i would yeah it's not below sebastian yeah right get it above that level of yeah i mean and yet yet avery sebastian was playing a key role in september last year he started at texas i believe (laughs) i mean the next year they have 11 receivers on scholarship (laughs) but three of those are jafar armstrong michael young and dion mcintosh well dion mcintosh and then you could throw javon mckinley in there too so yeah. Not yeah. a lot of production in that group. I know we have to wrap this up, but where does he fit? I mean, you know, Equinemius, Stepherson are the top two. Everybody likes Claypool. We all like C.J. Sanders to have a better year than he had this previous year. I think Fink provides a nice quality niche going forward for a couple of years as a as a good backup slot receiver. Then where does he fit when it comes to Boykin, McKinley, and the three guys that yeah. Pete just mentioned? That's where he fits. It's can he be? Can I mean, I don't. Guys? Did you did you speak to Canteen about position because he looks like a Z to me? I guess he could play a little bit of X, but I don't see him getting a lot of playing time. You know, there. he said it was undetermined, but it's it's one of those two, yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, and they 
we'll we'll see how things develop with the slot receiver position. But I agree, it's like slot receiver. It could be better than it was last year. Yeah. So maybe Canteen could be part of that. Okay, we have a bunch of questions for segment two. We'll talk Notre Dame basketball and Notre Dame football in segment two. Welcome back to Irish Illustrated Insider, our burning of the board segment two. First up, Andy for you, and he apologizes, interrupting all of our football and recruiting information. He wants to know about hoops, and he, he wonders, do you think Bonzi Colson is good enough to leave after this year to go pro? Is he? Is that the question, good enough, or will he leave? Um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that there's a... I don't know how much better Bonzi Colson is going to get next year. Uh, this will be. I'm going to ask this question later today. Maybe not so directly, but um, I mean, my sense is that he's not going to leave early. I, you, you, you still have a good basketball team returning next year, despite the loss of Beecham and Vastoria. I, I haven't been given any indication that he's thinking along those lines. Um, you know, but I don't know how much. I don't know his game. His game is awfully good now. I don't know how it can get much better unless he grows three inches between now and next year. Yeah, I talked to someone uh, on the staff two days ago, and uh, they don't think he's going to leave. They think his goal is to come back and be the uh, national MVP. Well, there you go. That's good. That, that he could improve his game enough where his, his spot-up jumper has gotten better, where he can actually he can catch it in the high post and turn and shoot and be as good as he is eight feet away from 15 feet away. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mike Bray mentioned his footwork has improved so much. Yeah. And I think Tim and I were talking Pete before he got here. Some of the shots he hit against BC, even though he always hits them, I still assume he's going to miss these shots that are from seven feet away at odd angles and they're just never touch anything but the bottom of the net. And I think he has a niche game for college, but I do think in the end, <clears throat> excuse me, in the NBA now, he could easily be on an NBA bench because he's such a versatile inside guy. Um, it's not a specialized sport anymore. Um, the, the thing you worry about is just Bonzi Colson, who has pretty nice touch from the outside. He's not a good three-point shooter, but you shouldn't leave him open in a big game because right. he will hit it. You can't try to become a three-point shooter and help Notre Dame next year. <laughs> that has been proven to be a problem when your best inside guy decides that hanging out from 20 feet away more than twice a game is, is a thing you should do. Yeah, it's. I mean, the comparison that Bonzi Colson has always been for me, and I think a lot of people from the first time I saw him thrive was Draymond Green, yeah. who was a four-year player at Michigan State and came back his senior year. And I don't know if he was National Player of the Year, but I think he was a, a first-team All-American type guy. And he expanded his game out to the three-point line his, his last couple of years. And I think if Bonzi Colson can... Can do that within reason, you know. Not that he needs to be shooting right. eight three pointers a game. That that is that's going to be the difference between him making it in the next level, yeah. and not. If he wants to shoot sixty to sixty five threes in thirty games, I think that's great. I think it would help the offense. If yeah. he wants to shoot one hundred and ten, then I think you're looking at a problem because he is their inside presence. He's the guy <laughs> he that's got to be down, presence. and he's so. And that's different than this question, but I think he'll put his name in like BJ Beecham did. Yeah. Now. B.J. Beecham had no chance of getting a great grade last year, but he wanted to test the waters and see where he should get better. Bonzi should do that. Now, Brace suggested to Beecham <laughs> yeah. that he should do it, and Beecham said, really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's basically how that's that, trans- your guys that's back. How that yeah. transpired. I, I, in, Colson, it's interesting to talk to him because he, when he hit those two threes uh, against Florida State, was it Florida State yeah. or was that Wake? It was a Wake. I mean, it was a Wake, and then yeah. he hit another one against Florida State, but... He quoted what Mike Bray says to him, and that's calm feet, calm feet. If he sets his feet 
and he doesn't get jittery in, in you know, uh, the anxiety of releasing the shot, everything else falls into place. Uh, I, I'm, I will talk to Colson today specifically about this and just see what kind of feedback he gets. And in, for the bottom line, he has to come back because Notre Dame desperately needs him oh, to great. Oh, contend next year. And yeah. they will be good again if he's back automatically. I don't think he's National Player of the Year, but I think he's first-team All-American caliber coming back as well, a senior. They they will be good again, and they're pretty yeah. good right now. Now that they won three games, it, it certainly wasn't a jug, uh, you know, murderer's row with Wake Forest and B.C., uh, sandwiching Florida State, but the win over Florida State was huge. The best game that they've played this year in the ACC top to bottom. BC was the worst after they gave up 49 points in the first half and then held Boston College to 27 points and 33% shooting in the second half. And they were up against it uh, against Wake, and it was interesting to hear Mike Bray talk about the leaders on his team, but he singled out Matt Farrell, and I don't think anybody is surprised to hear that Matt Farrell could get a little heated and emotional in the locker room to try to fire his his teammates up, and and um, it certainly worked in the second half, as did the two three zone. Uh, Farrell continues to be brilliant at crunch time. He had two huge threes against Boston College to get them really rolling uh, five minutes into the second half, and things look better again after losing four in a row and five out of six. They're now nine and five in the conference. They're in sole possession of. Uh, fifth place as of today because they have a half-game lead over Duke. And the advantage that Notre Dame has, you know, we talk about the heavy minutes of the top four, but, um, you know, their schedule relents now, not only in terms of the difficulty of schedule, but they have one less game than everybody else. And they really should win three of their last four games. And no one else can say that in the conference that's contending. that All the schedules are so hard. Notre Dame's is so easy. They have to take care of business. North Carolina State is worse off than B.C., they, do, they have a lame duck coach. They just lost to Carolina. They're going to be giving tickets away to this game. Come on. You can't miss this road game. <laughs> and then you have BC and Georgia Tech. Or Georgia Tech and BC at home. And, of course, a tough one with Louisville. But that's a lot on Bonzi Colson and the Irish. Uh, we do think by the next time we talk, they will have kind of cemented, hopefully fourth, maybe could be fifth, depending on, uh, you know, there's some good teams in the ACC, no matter how hard these schedules are. Question from Irish Bob. Can you give more detail about the upgrades to the Loftus Center and the Guglielmino Complex? Yeah, it's. Uh, <clears throat> I think we actually talked about this first on a podcast in September um, when I told people that they were going to add a second field um, to the Loftus Complex, and that's still the plan. That, that's happening. Um, you know, on top of that, and I think this question comes from some of our recruiting updates following junior day where the coaches are now selling this as a, you know, part of the recruiting pitch is, you know, redo the locker room. Um, that's been something Notre Dame's been trying to push for for a couple years. You know, it's like when you, when you do see other college locker rooms, either on recruiting videos or, you know, media interviews, Notre Dame does feel a little bit antiquated. So there's, you know, some updating that can be done there. Um, and then, I think the big one, and I'm not. This is the one I, I know the least about, is updating the food services that are involved with the goo. Because every day when we go to interviews, you see them wheeling in these trays of food because they can't do training table on site there. Um, they don't have a dining facility. They set up this buffet line in the middle of the sort of lobby. Uh, of the second floor of the Goog, um, they could certainly do better than that. And it was just, it was not something that was on their radar enough when they built the Goog 10 years ago and planned it 15 years ago. So that's that, that's something where Notre Dame can be better. And I think 
those are really the three big things that uh, the facility upgrades at Notre Dame could use. J-Law 1, do you think the decline in strength and conditioning was limited to last year only, or did the 15 team, 2015 squad, have enough leadership to overcome deficiencies in strength and conditioning? The 15 team, ha- 15 team had enough talent yeah. to overcome any kind of deficiencies. I mean, if it... Like, if it was a deficiency in 16, it was a deficiency in 15, except the 2015 team had Jalen Smith, Will Fuller, Ronnie Stanley, Sheldon Day, C.J. Procise, Kavari Russell, Romeo Aquara. That was so good, I forgot to write down Day when I was making my yeah. own list. Yeah, that, yeah, they had a lot of talent, and it was developed veteran talent, and that overcomes a lot of things. It's, yeah, and look, part of that development was in the weight room. The weight program was enough to turn that roster right. into, what, five fourth-round picks or better. Uh, and Romeo Aquara put him in yeah. position to go from not knowing really very much about football to one of the kind of cool stories of the NFL last season. So um, I think for anyone to look at strength and conditioning last year and say, like, well, 2015, obviously, things were going bad, uh, the data would suggest otherwise. Um, now, was it starting to go stale then? Yeah, because I don't think it happened all in 2016. But... It, it's not a situation where everything was bad last year, but everything was good in 2015. And we have to chime in with this because strength and conditioning is the order of the day. It also wasn't all strength and conditioning last year. Yes. It hasn't yeah. been fixed. The whole problem hasn't been fixed just because they are keeping track of the point totals that the little teams have <laughs> yeah. in the locker room. I like what they're doing. Yeah. It's not all on Paul. Paul Longo was not calling plays <laughs> right. in Raleigh, North Carolina. No. <laughs> you know, he might have been. There, there, are a lot, there are a lot of things <laughs> to get right. It seems like the energy is moving in a good way in all those directions, but uh, strength and conditioning is just is one pillar of the program. Um, it's an important one, but it's just one. All right, next up we've got Irish ND23. The early returns on recruiting efforts of this new staff seem to be very good. Not to pile on here, but I will. Are we seeing a difference in what it's like to have a defensive coordinator who is a good recruiter versus one who is not? Any early com- comments from the 18 class that shed light on the differences? Yeah, I don't think you're piling on with that part, right? No. It's, it's crucial. <laughs> it's part of the deal. I mean, yeah. they should have been able to recruit better with what they were doing at Notre Dame during Brian Van Gorder's tenure up front. It's just the way it is, and now it's... I've got to give them a lot of credit for what they've done. This is... I am not a guy that gives a lot of off-season credit because I don't care. I like to see what happens on the field. <laughs> this is really impressive. You think the man. games are important? <laughs> yeah, I really do. It's just I, I am I am I'm stunned and impressed with what they've been able to do in a short period of time. I I feel the same way. The scheme was lousy, and he <laughs> and he didn't recruit. Let's go back to the Texas. I game. mean, <laughs> yeah. no, I mean Mike Elko. Yeah, it, I mean it's an infusion of of energy and youth, and Mike Elko is. One of the older guys on the staff now, and he's like forty. Um, you know, he's got. We've we were around him for a couple of days. He's got an engaging yeah. personality, and he's involved. And um, you know, he was out recruiting for Wake Forest, so it's he. You know, I mean, he had he had a jump on some some players that that he would be interested in, Nordane would be interested in, but he was out recruiting. And then you throw in, you know, Polian and 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 the rest of the guys. There's a lot of energy right now. You should write tombstones for people. The scheme was lousy and he didn't recruit. That <laughs> <laughs> just sucks well, things I mean, up. I mean, like, <laughs> Metaphorical tombstone. I mean, Notre Dame had that that junior day, and you sort of follow along on social media, and the prospects are posting their photos. And you're seeing, you're seeing a bunch of prospects post photos posing with Mike Elko. 
in the weight room. Like Mike Elko is hanging around the kids, just sort of, you know, he's there connecting with them. I don't remember seeing Brian Mangoder do that ever. Um, and Mike Elko certainly is way more out on the trail, certainly more active on social media. Just, I think he has a connection with prospects and players that I think Brian Mangorder did not because he was a pro coach and recruiting was just, that was not his thing. It's great, great quality in a college coach. Yeah. JPF505 seems like an open depth chart in the secondary is helping to attract the elite kids. Can you promise this will now happen at defensive end as well? Pete, if you can promise this, I would appreciate it. At some point, somebody elite has to say, I can play and be a high profile. If, on you, if you promise that, we're holding you to it right now. Okay, here's what I wrote down on my notes. <laughs> no. No. I mean, good one, JPF505. Um, yeah, you, like I, I think somebody like uh, Malik Van, who leads in the next question, like that's their best shot at a really good defensive end. He's a four-star guy, maybe a little bit undersized, but Notre Dame doesn't. I don't think they look at it and say we have to have a six-foot-six uh, edge pass rusher. Uh, Van's closer to six-foot-three. That's sort of their guy. I know they offered Micah Parsons uh, from Pennsylvania. I think that's kind of a that would be a, a, a rough. Get, I mean, that's, that's going to be a tough sell, I guess, is what I'm trying to say there. He's a Penn State commit. Um, that's that stuff's not changing, you know. As much as the Kalen Gervin and Derek Allen commitments are are different and feel new, defensive and it's tough. Uh, everybody wants those guys, and that, that it's Notre Dame's just going to have a hard time. But this is where scheme comes in, and it comes into play. And Mike Elko said scheme is meaningless, but I don't really believe that he believes that. Um, you know, you you've you've got to do it with scheme. I, I I don't. You have some young guys there, defensive end. It does. You don't know who's going to be a, a pass rusher, but you have to do it with scheme. You put pressure from the middle, from the outside. It loosens up your defensive ends and defensive tackles to make plays. I think that's where it starts with the scheme. Yeah, I, mean, I think getting more fast guys on the field will be yeah. uh, part of that too. I mean, you look at. I was putting together the depth chart, and Tim, you've sort of done a depth chart. And you know, when you once you once you start moving Drew Tranquil to linebacker, it's like then maybe it's Bilal or Martini, and it's Morgan in the middle, and there's like, well, there's this Dalen Hayes is the weak side end. Like, we don't this really is getting maybe a little. This is getting more athletic. It looks faster yeah. to me on paper. Um, you know, and like faster guy, fast guys are better than slow guys when it comes to pass rush. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna write a, a big expose about in a, that. In a corner, there you, go. Yeah. you know, we get a lot of questions about who's a rover, what what makes a rover, you know, that that kind of stuff. Uh, it seems to me that in talking to Clark Lee, guys that are candidates for the buck are also candidates for the rover. Um, you know, somebody asked me about um, who was it? I'm losing my thought there about a, a, a rover candidate, but. You know, we're—I mean—we're fascinated and interested to see what we can in the spring, just to see how it all works. Right now, we can look at a bunch of film and talk about it and speculate about it, but until you see it on the field, you don't really know. Yeah, ideally, uh, anyway, I was looking at rover versus safety and everything. And I was trying to figure out where Derek Allen fits because everybody—I feel like everybody we That's see. Who- was that Alan? I think I think his ability. Yes, I like that's him at safety, was, though. I think his his ability. If you if you listen to the definition for Mike Elko of what the rover is, it's a it's a guy that's not good enough to cover. But he can. Cover. But is physical. He can yes. cover. 
I don't think that's the best use of Derek Allen. Derek Allen needs to play safety. And even if it's the best use of Derek Allen, you need a safety. They can cover. It's not like they have another right. safety exactly. coming in down the pipeline. So. No, that, that's not, that's <laughs> not what the yeah. rover position right. is. I think you're minimizing Derek Allen's ability if you put him at rover. I agree, and I guess I looked at it from the point of view you don't have Clemson's defensive roster where you think to yourself, well, there's like seven guys that can just right. play safety back there. So I think Derek Allen's a good safety kid. Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame has talked to Allen about playing corner, and if I mean, look, if he can do that, great, but he would be to have a safety with legitimate ball skills. I'm, I mean, the last time Norim had that was what Harrison Smith. It's been yeah, because Mata was more since, of just a very good senior safety. Yeah, it wasn't ball skills. He I mean, you feel really like you, you're watching a lot of safeties try to play the ball, and it's just like you know, <laughs> kind of flailing out there. Allen looks like a receiver who now plays defensive back. Well, throwing throw nice safety, throwing Isaiah Robertson next yeah, to him long term, be. and yeah. that's those are. Two really gifted athletic players with ball skills. Yeah, because that was that was something Todd Light said on signing day. Is like the safeties that we want now are basically converted receivers, um, or at least guys who played receiver in high wow. school. So was Todd Light Robertson. Yeah, that Todd Light worked out okay yeah. for him. Yeah, he came in as a receiver. So that's um, a defensive end, an issue, but I do think they're doing a good job. At- Pretty much every other spot. CPU15 asks, after Micah Jones on Friday, do you guys expect things to slow down until Irish Invasion, or should we look for Van or possibly some other uh, offense lineman to commit in the near future? Well, it's I mean, I think we mentioned this in segment one. They get Micah Jones tomorrow. You hit that 85 out of 85 number. you got to be careful um, to take more project-type guys or just, frankly, more guys in general. So... I do think things will slow down a little bit. They're not going to pick up uh, four commitments every week. Um, but, you know, will they get a couple guys in spring ball? Probably. Uh, and then Irish Invasion, historically, they're getting a couple guys there too. And if, if that's the case, then you're sitting at 15, 16 guys when training camp opens in August. And you're trying to sign maybe 19, 20. Um, that's going to make for a recruiting season in season that has a lot more to do with 2019 than 2018. They should be in a very good position. And historically, they'll lose two guys from the current roster between today and the end of spring. Just yeah, there's no question. There's depth chart issues. There's this is where disciplinary things and grades come in. And there's always seems to be two guys that are. I mean, a couple years ago, they lost three in a week there with Ferguson, Neal, and Keel. And Mm -hmm. so I think there's always going to be one or two guys that pop off the roster at this point too. Yeah, there's no question about that. So it's. It's going to be a numbers game, but uh, I, to answer the question, yeah, I think things will slow down a little bit, um, and it'll probably stay at a, a pretty good pace or a medium pace through the start of the season. So that's it for this edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. We'll be back on February 27th to talk a little bit more hoops. The ACC tournament will be just around the corner at that point. Norway football probably will pick up another commitment as well. So plenty to discuss, and believe it or not, spring practice will be just eight days following that podcast. So we will have a ton to talk about on our next podcast, February 27th. Until then, I'm Pete Sampson, as always, joined by Tim Priester and Tim O'Malley. Thanks for listening.